And it just kind of does fall in the right time as we were preparing to transition um, out of the book of James. So if you realize that we had worked completely through the book of James, not in sequential order, because you don't really have to work through James in sequential order, but we did work through the entire book of James. So what we want to do now is really transition into what we'll be discussing and what we'll be talking about. And, and I, I try to pray and, and just be led by the Spirit in what direction I want to go. And I thought there would be no more um, worthy topic to discuss and work through a book than the family. As our children are getting ready to go back to school, um, not many of us all have the opportunity to put our children in private schools. A lot of the kids here do, but there are some of our kids who are in secular environments who stand the potential of receiving maybe some bad information from the world. Now, I felt like the only way that we could get ahead of that is address the family in the church. Now, let me preface this by saying, anything you hear me say today is not Brandon's 101 philosophy of how to run your house. This is not what makes my marriage work. This is not what makes me a good husband. This is not what gives us good children. This is not what makes my wife a good wife. This is not my own philosophy. Everything that I will say today will come from the word of God. Now, I say that because in many churches, in many various forms, even outside of the church, you realize that there are people addressing the family. But often it's from a worldly and a secular position. And a lot of times, unfortunately, even us in the church adopt that position as well. But what I want to do is reaffirm for you what it means to be in the framework of a God-led family. And so the series we'll be going through is titled, As for Me and My House, The God-Led Family. Now, I don't know that Satan is attacking anything more currently than the infrastructure of the family. Quite frankly, I don't know that Satan has ever attacked anything more than the family. We see the first attack that Satan comes against is the infrastructure of the family in the Garden of Eden. Now, why specifically is Satan attacking the family? We'll talk about this more during the sermon. But you must realize that we are God's greatest creation. We are made literally in the image of God, which means we are icons, we are reflectors, we are image bearers of God. So all the qualities and everything that is in the nature of God exists in us because we are created by God. Now, not to get too theological, I know some people are thinking, well, I thought Jesus was the greatest creation. Actually, Jesus was not created. He was a part of creation. He is responsible for creation, but Jesus is not a creation himself. So we are God's greatest creation. And the, because Satan knows that we bear his image, because he is at enmity with, enmity with God constantly, the way he attacks God is by attacking God's creation. And so I figured the only way that we could actually talk about the infrastructure of the family, whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you are divorced, whether you are widow, wherever you may find yourself, you will find that the Bible has addressed whatever state you are in. And so I figured that before we get, because we're primarily going to work through the book of Ephesians, but before we get to the book of Ephesians, I felt like we should go back to Genesis and look at what the family looked like before the fall 
and look at what the family looked like after the fall. So go with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. My prayer today is that I will be able to provide great faithfulness to the text, but also great clarity so that as we introduce this sermon series that you'll be able to understand exactly where you fall in the framework of the family as God has designed it. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So let's see here. Let's see what the responsibility of Adam was prior to the fall. That's the first thing I want you to see. The The responsibility that God had given Adam before the fall was to keep and work the ground. He gave him that responsibility before the fall. Why am I telling you this? Because it is important for all men in this room to see that before the fall ever happened, Adam had a job. All right, y'all hear that? Before the fall happened, Adam was working. So having a job and working specifically for the man in the household is not a result of the curse. Many times we are looking for these escape acts and these get rich quick schemes so that we can get away from working. But the call to Adam before he even had a wife was to do what? It was to work. That is God's order creation. The design of the world and the relationships apart from the effects of sin is what God's ordered creation is. Now, what happened as a result of the fall? See, if he had a job prior to the fall, we must see what the result of the fall was. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And to Adam he said, 
Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. There we go. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By, your, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you were taken, and for you are dust, and to the dust you will return. See, to Adam, we see that the charge was for him to continue to work. But as a result of the fall, it says, now your work becomes laborious. See, if you read through the order creation, you will see that prior to the flood, did it ever rain? Absolutely not. Why did it not rain? Because the Bible tells us that the water sprung up from the ground and it watered everything and it allowed the vegetation to do what? To yield itself. It was yielding itself. And so when he tells him to work it and keep it, he's telling him to gather it and to take care of it. But now as a result of the fall, you're going to have to put in labor to get the ground to yield its fruit. And in order for your family to be provided for, you're going to have to work. And it will be through pain and it will be through labor and it will be hard for you. And it says all the days of your life. See, working is not the curse. But the work being laborious is the curse. That is the result of the fall. See, why is this affecting him directly? I want you to see this. Why did God choose his work to be the thing that then became laborious for him? Because that was his God-given role. His God-given role was to yield and to take care of the ground, to give those things and to provide for his family. That is not a result of sin. But as a result of that sin, he now has to work in a way that causes him stress and strain. I would venture to say that the fall from the fall is men who don't want to work. So you have the fall, which means we work hard. But I would say the fall from the fall is that now we have people who do not want to work. We have men who do not want to provide for their families. And there are men who would much rather sit at home while their wives or their live-in whatever goes out and does everything that they need to do so that they can stay at home and do whatever they feel like they can do. That is the fall from the fall. But the reason that happens is because Satan has come in to disrupt the ordered creation. He has corrupted the structure that God has placed. Now, doesn't it stand to reason that if he has already disturbed the order creation in the garden, that Satan would just leave us alone? No, absolutely not. Let me tell you why. Satan has one chief purpose for every one of us, and that is to see us destroyed. 
Satan's main goal in life is to completely defy God. And the best way he will ever be able to defy God is to eradicate God's creation off of the face of the earth. He didn't just want to disorder the family. Satan wants to destroy the family. Because if he can destroy the family, he will destroy all relationships and eventually he will destroy all of mankind. That's why as we see all these new movements and all these new policies and all these new things that are moving people towards individuality apart from relationships with other people, that is a fall from the fall. Because Satan's chief goal is to convince everybody in this room that we don't need each other. And if he can convince us that we don't need each other, we won't ever have a a reason to have a relationship with anyone. And especially for men, if we have no reason to have a relationship, all we'll do is, you know, hit it and quit it. That is his intention. He is trying to disrupt the order of the family so that he can attack God. He wants to kill and destroy everything that glorifies God. So understand this. According to the Bible, the man who is able to work but chooses not to work in such a way that pleases God is sinning against God. Because if you read it, What he said to Adam was a command. And it was a general command for all mankind, for all men in mankind. Before the fall and after fall, if you choose not to work as a man, when you are fully capable of working, you are sinning against God. Because that is the way that God, not Brandon, has ordered the family. God has ordered it that way. One of the most important things, however, that we must look at is when God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, this is not the chance I'm going to have to get on my soapbox and make some misogynistic comments about listening to your wife. I listen to my wife all the time. Look, if I didn't, I wouldn't be in this pulpit right now. I listen to my wife all the time. So he's not saying that you shouldn't listen to your wife. But what he is saying is you have raised the voice of your spouse higher than the voice of God. You have made your spouse an idol so much so that you have disregarded what I've told you so that you could be pleasing to your wife. See, in any marriage, in any family, in any relationships, If we listen or hold anybody else's voice higher than what the word of God has said, we have automatically made an idol out of them. And that's why he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. No one else's words can ever supersede the words of God. Adam allowed the influence of his wife to be greater than that of God. So what about Eve? going on with Eve? There are a few things I want you to see that are a result of the fall. But what life was supposed to be but what was life supposed to be before the fall? Let's see. When was she expected to bear children? Pre-fall or post-fall? Pre-fall. 
That was already a part of the role of Eve was to bear children. Bearing children, again, please understand this, is not a result of the fall. It's not a result of the fall. So what's the result? He tells us. He says, by doing so in pain. So in the man's role, you have to work. That is what is expected of you. Now you do that in pain. Now the role of the woman, which was to do what? This is the Bible, not Brandon. Bear children. Beforehand, there would be no pain there, but now you will yield children through pain and suffering. As the man labors to bring forth the fruit of the ground, now the woman labors to bring forth children. See, we're all affected by the curse, but in different ways. As it fits our God-given roles. But I do want you to see something. There is a way that the woman is able to escape the curse of childbearing. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And this is going to show you something about God's order creation again. I don't want you to be distorted. I don't want you to be confused. Everything I'm telling you, you're reading the scripture for yourself. I'm not making it up. 1 Timothy 2, 15. Yet. The woman, she will be saved through childbearing. How? If they continue in the faith and love and holiness with self-control. Paul is telling us that the woman is delivered from the curse of childbearing, the pain of it, if she raises her children up in the faith. Let's not gloss over this. Scripture is telling us that the fulfillment the wife and the mother should have is by raising children, nurturing children in the admonition of the Lord. So why is it that so many women and so many men are trying to break and run from God's order creation? And it's amazing that we are looking for the fulfillment that we lack within everywhere else. And God is telling us the only way that a woman who is able to bear children to escape the curse of having borne those children is by raising them up in the admonition of God. I don't know that there is more of a fulfilling thing a mother can have than when she can look back and look at the life of her child and say, however long that labor was does not compare to what God has done through what through this child. There are mothers all throughout here. There is no mother in here who thinks that they want their child to be nothing. Every mother wants their child to contend for the faith and hold on to the faith. And he is telling us that a part of God's order creation is that the mother will nurture the child in the faith. Now, that doesn't mean that it is apart from the father also nurturing the child. But there are distinctive roles in the family. There are primary and secondary roles, and we'll see it in the Bible shortly. The primary role of the father with the children is discipline. The primary role of the mother is nurturing. But that doesn't mean that neither one of them does the other thing either. 
That means that the, the, the husband has a secondary role to nurture his children, to not provoke them, to take care of them. And she has a secondary role to discipline the children. But I want you to see that if that order creation is off, then it doesn't just affect your household, it affects the entire world. So, the same reason that men don't want to work is the same reason that many, children, many women are trying to escape the God-given role that God has given them. What is the other effect of the curse? Let's look at Genesis 3, 16. We're looking at the latter portion, so let's go to three sixteen. To the woman he said... I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. But look at this next part. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. Your desire will be contrary to your husband. That is a result of the fall. There is this constant contention between the husband and the wife as she and he both struggle with their own self-will. That was not supposed to be the way prior to the fall. We were supposed to exist in a harmonious relationship where everybody understood their role and no one felt like there was disparity in the household because we had different roles. But now because of the fall, there is a greater contention among the husband and the wife. Prior to the fall, he was secure with his role. She would have been secure with her role. Now, because this is all a part of Satan's way to destroy creation, that enmity between the husband and the wife has not ceased. I am a living witness. But see... The, one of the issues is that we have allowed the world to normalize what is corrupt, what is false, and what is faulty. So, as we go to the book of Ephesians, I do want you to keep the context of the family top of mind. Because the principles that Paul addresses should be true in the life of Christians. If they are, then not only will our relationships with one another be strong, but those with whom we live would be strong as well. So, that was all the introduction, just in case you didn't get it. Here's point number one. It's the only point for today. Only Christians can have God-led families. That's it. Only Christians can have God-led families. I say that because everything I say today is from the Bible, and these are great principles, but they must be in practice for born-again believers. Now let's look at Ephesians 4 and 17. And initially, you're going to wonder why we're going to Ephesians, but if you're patient with me, I'll show you why. Ephesians 4.17 Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do 
in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self. Behold, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul is making this appeal that we are to walk as Christians, not as unbelievers. We must think and we must behave as Christ. He says that the world's understanding has only gotten darker. And we see that also in Romans when he says that the more we think of our own way and our own perception, the darker our minds get. And the more that Christians allow the influence of the world to come in, it distorts what God has said is true. I. I like this part because it sounds like something I would say. He says that not only have they gotten darker and it's because their hearts are hard, but then he calls them callous. He says that they have given themselves up to all things that are contrary to God. I remember when I was in high school and even middle school, the big question that everybody wanted to ask everyone else, because I went to the worldliest high school in the world, Irwin High School. Try me on that. The big question that everybody would ask, are you a virgin? They asked everybody that. See, back in the day, even if you would ask that question, especially at least for a woman, it would be a, a badge of honor to say no. It was as if you had protected something. But when I was in high school, it became a badge of honor. No, I ain't no virgin. For the males and the females. And the more I investigated this, the more I realized it was because for the woman, she felt like her sexuality was her way of controlling any man. And he felt that her sexuality was her way of not controlling him. And because she was, they, the girls were so free with their sexuality, so proud of being, of having lost their purity. They would engage in these relationships because their sexuality was their own. And they would lord it over these guys and these guys would gladly take their virginity. And because she didn't want him to feel like he had control of her, if there was a child born, she would let him know, this is my baby. And he would let her know, that's fine because I don't want anything to do with it at all. See, the darker we get in our minds, the more we think that life is all about us. But if you realize that Christianity is not just about you, it's about those you affect and influence that God has placed in front of you. 
So when scripture says, first, God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then what's the second thing that he says? Love your neighbor as yourself. I have some news to break to you. The people that you live with are your closest neighbors. They're your closest neighbors. Whether that's your mother, whether that's your brother, whether that's your aunt, whether that's your spouse, whether it's your kids, that is your closest neighbor. We have an obligation to love those we are in cohabitation with, we are in fellowship with, we are in relationship with, to love them the way that we love us. Now, I will add this caveat. If you are in a situation, if you are in a living situation that is not glorifying God, there is no amount of love that you can do for that neighbor that's going to make it okay. You understand what I'm saying? If you are living with your pre-spouse, they need to be your post-boyfriend or your post-girlfriend. And then you get in a relationship with them that glorifies God. Because that is the ordered creation. And one of the chief things that Satan is doing is he is normalizing our cohabitation with people to which we are not married. How can you know that you're sexually capable with that person unless you have sex before marriage? How can you know that y'all can live together unless you live, to them, live with them before you get married? How can you know how they really are until you actually live with them? I remember Mario Lopez, he and his, his girlfriend lived together for seven years. And then they got married. And you know what happened? They were divorced in six months. Because I bet everything was going fine. Because Satan is not against you sinning against God. He's all for it. But the minute you do, even if you don't realize this was right in God's eyes, the minute you do what pleases God, Satan comes in to rip the fabric apart. That's what he did in the fall. These are the things that the world has normalized. But Paul says to the Christians, that is our old way of living. That is the former us that is in our past. It shouldn't be named among us. And if you are having issues in your household and you're trying to lead a God-led household, if you're trying to do that apart from the saving power and work of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have difficulty. You're going to have a hard time. We must run away from the influence of the world, but because it motivates us to only be concerned for ourselves and be self-serving. He then says, having put off the falsehood, that falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. If you don't understand that the entirety of your fellowship with the other believers in the body of Christ is that you are bearing their burdens as well. 
Not only can you not have a good marriage, you can't have any good relationship. As long as your belief system is all about you, none of your relationships will work. None of your relationships at work, none of your relationships at school, none of your relationships with your friends. There will always be this contention because unless you realize that I have to bear their weaknesses and their burdens, not only are you not fit for marriage, you're not fit for any relationship. Now you may say, what in the world does this have to do with being a God-led family? If you have not put off the old self, if you have not had the callousness of your heart healed, if you are overly sensual, greedy, or impure, you are selfish to be in a you are too selfish to be in a God-led family. That's what Paul is telling you. And what he's more importantly telling you is that if you are too sensual, too greedy, too impure, if you're an unbeliever, you don't belong in the Christian family. But he's telling you, as we did learn in James, that is what is disordering everything in your life. There is a remarkable peace that will come upon you. A remarkable joy when you step outside of fellowship with the world and enter fellowship with Christ. And how it will tremendously bless your relationships. Now, I will tell you this. If you have some relationships that you are in with people right now, that the basis of it is your sin. You have equal sin and so you enjoy one another's sin. God will put Accord in between that. But what he will do is provide for you faithful Christian believers for you to be able to fellowship with who you will not only bear, but they will bear with you as well. We must speak the truth to our neighbor. So let me ask you this question for those of us who are married or who are in families who live in the same household. Who is your closest neighbor? Because I know some of you say, well, I'm not married. Your closest neighbor doesn't have to be necessarily the person that stays next door to you, although that could be your closest neighbor. But how are you treating your closest neighbor? If you are unmarried and you desire to be married, how are you treating your closest neighbor? Is the love of God radiating from you? Let me ask you this. Does everybody else get better treatment than your closest neighbor? The people who have provided for you, the people who have done the most for you, the God-given relationships that you have, that you know you have a little bit more leeway with, that you take advantage of. If you want to see a picture of what you will be like if you are unmarried when you're married, check your closest neighbor. How do you treat them? What is your relationship like with them? How does God reflect out of you in that? See, we are members one of another. We hold each other up and we love one another, not as the world instructs us, but as Christ instructs us. We are commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. The people you live with are your closest neighbors? Are you loving them with the love of Christ? 
Are you loving them with the love of Christ? I'm not asking you what, what they deserve. I'm not asking you how they treat you. I'm asking you, are you loving them with the love of Christ? What about your next door neighbor? What about the neighbor beyond just your next neighbor? What about the people you work with? What about the people that get on your nerves? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? This is just the intro into this series. But my prayer is that as we have begun today, it will bless you tremendously. That you will grow up to not just have a better relationship with those that you live with, but that God would tremendously do a work on your heart so that all the people, whether you work eight hours with them, 12 hours, whether you live with them, that he will strengthen those relationships, knowing that your relationship with everybody else is not based on the mer- what they have merited. He says, love them as yourself. Let's pray.